Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Awaken your senses with a curiously refreshing Hendrix Cucumber Lemonade. Curious how? Cue the aroma. Marvelous. Cue the taste. Magnificent. Cue the cucumber. That's the refreshing secret. Hendrix is uncommonly crafted with cucumbers, roses, artistry, and imagination. Other gins are ordinary, but Hendrix is refreshingly curious. Discover Hendrix Gin cocktail recipes at HendrixGin.com. Please drink the unusual responsibly. Hendrix Gin, 44% alcohol by volume. Bottled and imported by William Grant Sons, New York, New York. Copyright 2024. Welcome to the BBC Music Magazine podcast. You can subscribe to the magazine by visiting classical-music.com or to our interactive iPad edition by visiting iTunes.com. BBC Music Magazine is now an official Apple Music curator and you can listen to our exclusive playlists by visiting applemusic.com slash bbcmm. This week, we gathered together members of the BBC Music Magazine team for First Listen, a monthly slot where members of the magazine editorial team chat about and rate an important new release. So joining me in the studio today are our deputy editor, Jeremy Pound, our reviews editor, Rebecca Franks, and joining us for the very first time is Eleanor Cooper, our editorial assistant. Hello. 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 So, today's recording is called Liberté, Egalité, Sororité, 100 Years of Chamber Music by French Women, performed by pianist Diana Ambache and friends including flautist Anthony Robb, oboist Jeremy Palmier and cellist Rebecca Knight. So, is this a delicious collection of French delicacies or does it all leave a rather bad taste in the mouth? Let's kick off with a clip from the finale of the disc's opening work, the Trio d'Anche, or Trio for Reed Instruments, scored for oboe, clarinet and bassoon by Claude Arieux. So, Jeremy, did this appeal? Did this appeal? Um, I'm not sure appeal is the word I'd immediately apply to it. Um, She's quite an interesting composer, actually, is Claude Arriot. If you kind of read a bit more about her, she was very prolific and actually quite an all-rounder. Um, as well as writing chamber music, she also wrote opera and a fair number of film scores as well. Um, she lived from 1903 to 1990, so sort of the majority of the 20th century. Um <clears throat> 
primarily her main kind of strength was um, her vocal works. And obviously this being a disc of chamber music, um, you're not going to get any of that on here. But I'd, quite, I'm, I'd have to say it kind of never really completely stirred me, this piece, but I would quite like to investigate some more of her music. It's not without its charm. I, I think there's a real sort of salon flavour to it. I mean, you can imagine this being sort of written for a collection of friends, sort of brought, being brought together of an early evening before, I don't know, before before dinner or something like that. That's true. But one, th- one thing actually which the sleeve notes does point out well is that um, she writes very evenly for the three instruments. Um, you have the, the oboe, the clarinet and bassoon, and each has their own little star moment. It's not sort of an oboe with two instruments playing underneath. They do actually have their own little little twists and turns. Mm. I think anybody who plays the flute will probably know her sonatine, which is um, a very well-known piece of music in well in for, for, for flute players. But uh, I, I think she's a, a fairly sort of neat composer, but I, I don't think there's anything great here. Um, I think a far better track is the um, the Boulanger. It's, it's an interesting piece, the violin and piano nocturne, Rebecca. I completely agree. It's one of the standout moments on the disc for me. Um, it's only a short piece, only a little three minute or so piece for violin and piano written in 1911. Uh, Lily Boulanger actually died in 1918. She was only 24, so she died very young, but she was a wonderful composer, really, has a real strong individual voice. And it's a shame there's not more of her music left. Uh, she won the, the Prix de Rome at the, the Paris Conservatoire, the, the first woman, in fact, to, to win it. So she, uh, you know, her life was cut short, but she had already achieved a lot. Well, let's hear an extract from The Nocturne uh, by Lily Boulanger. was an extract from the Nocturne by Lily Boulanger. Very French, isn't it, Rebecca? It's sort of, you know, real sort of Poulenc, Foray, Ravel, all sort of mixed into one. Yes, and actually it's, we didn't hear the start there, but it starts with this sort of impressionistic quality as well in, in the piano. And I think they do a really lovely performance of it. Perhaps maybe I'd like to a little bit more fluidity, but actually I think it's this is one of the pieces that works really well on the disc. So now we're going to move on to Pauline Viado-Garcia, Eleanor. Um, this is sort of an earlier work, isn't it? It's something that really doesn't quite in sort of in the same impressionist mould, but still very sort of French in its flavour. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Viado is actually friends with Chopin and um, with lots of that composer, that ilk, and um, she had great praise from people like Franz Liszt, um, who actually said that um, with Pauline Viado, the world had finally found a woman composer of genius. And Berlioz also rated her quite highly. Um, she had an amazing life actually she was from an operatic family her parents were both opera singers um all her siblings were opera singers her children ended up being performers themselves as well um and so she had this amazing background uh she herself wanted to be a concert pianist um but her mother after her father died her mother pushed her more towards the singer being a a singer which is what she ended up doing as her career so the compositions on on a side really for her in her in her career as a side, she's written, she wrote a lot of songs as well, didn't yes, she? And yeah. In fact, we've got a, a recording coming up in the magazine of, of her songs, a review of it. So look out for that in a future issue. Absolutely. I think we should, though, get a flavour of what this piece sounds like. Let's hear the adagio from the uh, sonatine for violin and piano. 
So that was the adagio from the uh, sonatine for violin and piano by Pauline Viado Garcia. Um, Eleanor, I sort of get the impression this is this is quite a sort of neoclassical work, although it's quite romantic. It's looking back and and also it's sort of looking forward as well because a lot of the composers we're talking about today were also quite neoclassical in their approaches. So um, it, yeah, it's it's beautifully. And it's quite simply played as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really lovely. It's performed very beautifully on this disc, and I think there are a lot, there's a lot of busyness in other works on this disc, and and in, and indeed in the later half of the sonatine, it gets into much busier texture. But this opening movement's just very simple and smooth and played for just beautifully by the um, by the performers. Want to revisit? Will you be putting it in your library? I think or? So yeah. Yeah. Excellent. I think we're going to move on to um, some Taifer, um, which I've been listening to. Uh, Taifer was a member of Les Six, um, the only uh, female member of Les Six, actually. And she was called the, the female member of Les Six. She was also called the smile of Les Six. And then when everyone else died, she was called the last remaining member of Les Six. <laughs> so um, she was always sort of the odd one out, really, whether it was the happy one or simply the female composer. But she's, I, this is wonderful music, actually, because you've got this sort of mix of, of Stravinsky and Ravel and also sort of Chinese exoticism, you've got this sort of sense of, um, of, the, of the Orient in it as well, sort of all mixed together in this sort of heady atmosphere. And I've chosen this work, and you probably recognise quite a lot of its timbres. It's like a slowed down bolero. It's, it's quite extraordinary. So let's hear a little bit from the, uh, the Nocturne uh, from the Concertino for Flute, Piano and Chamber Orchestra. You know, the interesting thing about this piece is that uh, all the parts were lost after it was performed in 1953 and the work has only really been reconstructed from a, a really quite sort of um, fuzzy French radio recording. So it's been sort of reconstructed. But I think it's beautiful music. Um, Taifair was never of the impression that she was supposed to be sort of one of the greats. She said, I write music because it amuses me. It's not great music, I know, but it's gay, light-hearted music, which is sometimes compared with that of the petit maître of the 18th century, and that makes me very proud. So I don't think she was expected to be one of the sort of the great geniuses, but I think it is... Um, very well-crafted, beautifully imaginative music and, and performed, I think, very atmospherically here. So, um, yeah. So we're going to move now on to uh, the Farang, I think it's pronounced, Rebecca. Yes, so Louise uh, Farrank was born in 1804 and died in 1875, and she was multi-talented, really, a composer, teacher, pianist, and Schumann said that he admired her auspicious talent and fine training, and she actually became professor of piano at the Paris Conservatoire, the only female professor there, and wrote a lot of chamber music, um, orchestral overtures, and three symphonies, and... In fact, when Tom Service did a 50 greatest symphonies list for The Guardian, he actually chose her third symphony as, as one of those works. So 
forgotten but admired in her own time. And the work here is the cello sonata, which she possibly wrote for the great French cellist uh, Franchon, who was also a professor, I believe, at the Paris Conservatoire, where she, where she worked. And it has this char- characteristically elegant sort of feel to it, which was very typical of his playing. And Chopin actually wrote his cello sonata for him as well. So I've chosen just a bit from the opening, which gives a flavour of that, that sense of line and classicism blended with romanticism. an extract from the Allegro Moderato uh, from Louise Farenc's Cello Sonata. Um, I, I feel one or two of the bars could have been perhaps taken again, played again. Um, the performance, I think, was it was fine. I just wonder whether the piece could have been perhaps done a little bit more justice. I think that the feeling is absolutely there, but I do agree that, and in, in some of the other pieces as well, that a little more detail and, and sparkle, I think, would would have served the music a bit better. I, I do agree with that, actually, yeah. But charming, nevertheless. And talking of which, we're going to move on to um, Mélanie, Melboni, uh, Jeremy, the uh, Scène de la Forêt, uh, Scenes from the Forest. Tell us about that. Right, well, <clears throat> sadly, Melboni's life was anything but charming. Um, she's probably the most complex character we've got on this disc. Um, her real name was Melanie Bonny, have you said, but she actually shortened it to Mel Bonny so she wouldn't um, suffer from prejudice so that she, people wouldn't immediately know that she was female. Her life story is the sort of thing to have you throw things against the wall in frustration. Um, she was brought up in an unmusical family. Her parents tried to prevent her from studying music um, and she kind of persevered. Um, she was extremely talented and eventually they briefly gave in and she went off to study with Franck um, and made great waves and was championed by Franck. But then her parents intervened again and they married off her off to someone who was not remotely musical and she kind of she very dutifully settled for this life of um, playing kind of wife to this richer husband and doing the kind of bearing children and being a socialite about town. Um, eventually, she met up with a friend who she'd kind of had a bit of a, not a fling with, but had a very close friendship with when she was younger um, and they fell in love and then she had an illegitimate child and she was not able to see that child because, um, because social mores at the time had said she couldn't. Um, because it was a child born out of wedlock. So her whole life was quite a complex one, and yet all through this she kind of maintained her composing career. And a lot of her music is kind of very, very inventive. Um, it's really, really well-written stuff. Here we have um, Bonnie's Scène de la Forêt, which is cast in four movements, and it's written in 1907, and it's for flute, horn and piano. It's a trio, and it's basically four scenes from a forest. Um, and... You can hear touches of Franck there. You can hear Franck's influence in there. You can hear kind of bits of Debussy as well. And in the final movement, which is Pour Artemy, which is for Artemis, which is the Greek goddess of hunting, it reminds me even a little bit of Brahms's horn trio from the hunting scenes there. So let's hear this. (laughs) 
So that was Pour Atemi from uh, Mel Bonny, uh, Send de la Forêt. Um, I think rather lovelyly played, actually, I think. Um, yes, with this piece in particular, um, I can't help but feel that it lacked a little something in the performance. There wasn't that much sense of magic in the opening nocturne, which sort of should have created this real sense of otherworldliness, that classic Debussyan feeling. I never really got that from this performance. But yes, overall, I mean, I think these pieces do, you know, they really reveal kind of, they give us a glimpse of some of the voices which we should have heard an awful lot more of. And I think it's, as I say, it's social regime which actually stopped a lot of these kind of composers becoming much, much better known. Yes, I think this recording is actually important for, as you say, for giving them a voice and for, you know, a lot of this music hasn't really been recorded very much at all. So actually to get it out there being heard, being played... Mm. That is really valuable. I, I think it's worth hearing this music before reading Diane Ambash's final note. I think sometimes there's a little self-defeating comparing some of these works to to the sort of uh, slightly rickety de chevaux Citroen car, saying that you know although it is rickety, it does sort of attract affection and a bit of loyalty. And and and, and you know some of this music I think does uh, is comparable to that. But um, I think. Some of it is is quite substantial, maybe. Well, I was going to say, I, I think that the the Pauline Viardot Garcia sonatine and the, the I know it's very sh- short, but the Lily Boulanger Nocturne, they're wonderful pieces, and we should hear those in in recital. I don't really see any reason why they shouldn't be. Time for some scores, Jeremy. Out of ten, um, I'm going to give it five out of ten. I found I thought the works were interesting. In the main, but two or three which were completely forgettable. And I'm afraid to say I thought too much of the playing didn't have enough character to really keep me engaged. Rebecca? I'd like to give it seven out of ten. I did have reservations about the playing, but as a project and the pieces, that, the, the voices that they have here, I think it's very interesting and works that I'd like to explore and composers I'd like to explore further. Eleanor? I'm going to go for a diplomatic six in that case. Um, the, again, yes, the playing at some points I feel lets down some some of the music, but the project as a whole is is a lovely one, and and it's made me aware of some composers that I didn't know of before, and will definitely go back to listen to again. And I'm going to give it six as well. I was going to give it seven, but I'm going to give it six. I think the music, yeah, it, it did grow on me. I, I adore the tie there, I have to say, um, and the Boulanger and uh, the Viardot. I think. I think some of the performances could have been better, but um, I think it was a, a lovely introduction to some very gifted composers we wouldn't otherwise hear. So that neatly gives us an average of six out of ten. So that brings us to the end of uh, First Listen. Join us next month. We'll be talking about another important new release. Goodbye. 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 Thank you for listening to this BBC Music Magazine podcast, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Fletcher. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at classical-music.com or simply head to iTunes.